0: Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. Well, friends, we are continuing in our Blueprint series, which is all about who we are called to be as the church. And I'm going to be honest, a wiser person might just leave it at that. But I'm still learning, so you have to bear with me a little bit. Uh, My name is Anne Marie Berg. I'm one of our pastors here at White's Chapel, while Sam is celebrating with Hannah and his family. I will be here with y'all this evening, and it is such a privilege. It's one that I get to serve every single week alongside y'all in our Saturday night service, and it's such a blessing to be with you all here tonight. So as we continue in our series, we are talking about what it means to be the church we have this blueprint of who we believe that we're called to be and how we're continuing that as we look towards our future. And so last week we talked about our motto, White's Chapel, where tradition meets today. And over the next few weeks, we'll be taking a look at each section of our vision statement, which if you've never heard it before, is pretty good. And you'll hear it for the first time maybe right now. We believe that White's Chapel is called to engage the heart to stir the soul, challenge the mind, connect the body, and tonight, we start by engaging the heart. So what has really helped me understand this series, really wrap my mind around what we're talking about, is to think about our blueprint as a church in terms of a life verse. So maybe this is something that you've heard of before, but a life verse is a section of scripture that people will cling to and center their whole lives around. This might be a verse or two that offers them challenge and comfort that helps remind them of what's most important whenever other things seem to get in the way, the way that they usually do. So, for example, Pastor John McKellar's life verse is probably very familiar to you all. It comes from Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not be faint. I imagine a few of you have heard that before. And for example, Pastor Todd's comes from Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And our preaching pastor in this service, Sam, finds his life verse in Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 27. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your span of life? And my life verse comes from the verse that called me into ministry. It comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 24, and it says that nothing, not even my life, is more important than completing the task that the Lord Jesus Christ gave me, to testify to the good news of God's grace. And when we think about these verses, they are meant to encourage us. And even more, they're meant to remind us of what is most important whenever all of life seems to get in the way. And so as we think about our blueprint, our foundation as a church, I can't help but wonder what if Jesus had a life verse? We know that he was born in Nazareth, that he grew up learning what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. If he had to pick a scripture to ground his ministry, to tell people what he was about, to come back to time and time again, what might that scripture look like? What would it hold? How would it guide him? And I'm sure you've guessed where I'm going with this, but luckily for us, we don't have to wonder. In Christ's very first public sermon, he reads out of the book of Isaiah, and it becomes the hallmark of what will be his ministry until he goes to the cross. And so if you have your Bibles here with me, turn into the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And as we're finding that I want us to recognize where we are in the scripture. Jesus has been baptized. God has declared him as God's own. He's about to go into the world to share his first public ministry, and we see his very first sermon unfold in the verses before us. So from the Gospel of Luke, chapter four, verses 16 through 21. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In this text, we find Jesus at the synagogue. As would have been their custom, those in attendance stand to read from scripture. Then the teachers would sit down to teach. This is the first public sermon we ever see Jesus offer, and he does so based on the verses out of Isaiah chapter 61 and chapter 58. And these words are significant. They come from the prophet Isaiah who was foretelling of a Messiah, someone who would come to Israel and bring about an entirely new way of life. And that's the scripture that Jesus reads from. So as we think about what could be important enough that Jesus would make his very first public statement about, what could be important enough that it's the inciting incident of his ministry, we find our answer wrapped up in what we know very well as members of this church. We find Christ's life verse wrapped up in missions and outreach. Now, when I say missions, what comes to your mind? I imagine a lot of the things that we see in the video that we all watched together, serving our neighbor, offering donations, bringing what we have for the good of the other, going out and showing the world what God's love really looks like. For me, growing up missions meant our annual youth ministry mission trip. Which if you have ever been on, you know there is nothing so fun or quite so tiring. But I knew growing up that one week out of the year, I would be living out God's call on my life. The things that Jesus did, going out and serving our neighbors, I would do too. And I also knew that it would be a lot of fun. And so I waited for that week, year after year, and when it arrived, I could not contain my excitement because that's what I thought mission was all about. Coming together with my friends, going and doing a project together, and then coming home and feeling great the whole rest of the year. But what if Christ is calling us to something more? I think we see a picture of the way that maybe these missions could be enhanced when we think about how our real youth mission trips operate. So many of y'all know before I came to White's Chapel, I used to serve on a youth ministry staff for a number of years. And one year we had a first time youth staff member join us. And what happened is probably typical of most people who attend a youth mission trip for the first time. We were gathered together after a long day of service, of corralling young people, getting them to try and do really good projects. And as we talked over the day, as we prepared for what would come the next day, our youth staff had a little bit of a problem. One of our members, my friend Chris, looked extraordinarily uncomfortable. Like maybe the most uncomfortable I've ever seen anyone look, ever. He was kind of like darting his eyes around and you know, had his arms kind of crossed, and then he would like wipe off his hands on his pants. Like He, he clearly had something he needed to say. And so, as we wrapped up our meeting, it finally came out. He stood up and he said, Why are these kids so bad at these projects? I mean, I had 16 kids handing around a single paintbrush when we have enough for all of them. They can't paint in a straight line, and at the end of the day, there's still more paint on them than there is on the wall. And we want to give them power tools? This is a fair question because the question underneath it is why do we let students do this really good work? Which if you've ever been on a mission trip, it's a question that you've had. The question that Chris then asked was why don't we just send other people? People who are equipped for this work in a different way, why don't we just send our money? And friends, there are times when that is absolutely necessary where it's not responsible or fair to do work that could be better done by someone else. But the answer that we gave Chris that night is the same answer that I think this text invites us into. When we take students, or when we take people of any age, on a mission trip, we hope that their mission doesn't end when the project is over. We hope that by taking part in serving others for the kingdom of God, They become people who don't just do mission. They become people on a mission. We hope that we are forming our hearts toward mission. So that way it's not something that we just take part in one week a year, it becomes a way of life. And that's what we see in our text tonight. Let's look back as we think about what it means to be a missional church at the verses that Christ chose when he gave his first sermon, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor these verses are not something that Jesus goes out and does once. They don't become a checklist for him to work through action by action until they're complete. This text is what becomes known as the thesis statement of Luke because the words that we see here become the touchstone for the rest of his ministry. And anytime we open up our gospel, we find Jesus doing these actions. He's not a person who does a mission. He's a person on a mission. One of them is the work of a Tuesday night or a Saturday morning or a week in the summer. The other is seeking out opportunities to serve. It's something that happens each and every day and it's the work of a lifetime. Like all else that Jesus calls us to, It's not a single action. It's a singularly different kind of life. And so as we think about what it means, our blueprint for our church to do missions, we recognize that Christ is calling us to be on mission, to make this our lifestyle, to take up the ways that Christ did and not just do a mission, to live it out. And as we live out this call, I think we can look at our text and find that Jesus is inviting us to take part in this mission in two really important ways. The first is that we are called to be on mission as a church. When Christ announces his calling, when he speaks these verses, when he tells people what he's about, when he begins his ministry, can you all imagine the first thing that people say? It's not great. In his hometown of Nazareth, he speaks these words and he experiences backlash. They ask, well, why not just serve here? This is where you're from. And instead, Jesus says he's called to something greater, something bigger. And as he goes about taking part in that ministry, the very next thing we see him do is recognize that he wants others to join in with him. So he calls his disciples. In the Gospel of Luke chapter four, we see Jesus claim his authority. And in chapter five, we see him invite others in. And that has been our story since that first transpired. The church is at its best where it is the place that Christ's calling comes to life, where there's good news for the poor, where there's recovery of sight for the blind, where release and freedom reign. We see it in the earliest church when people without a home found one, when people without food were fed, when people without hope experienced the gospel. And that has been our history ever since. Our history is full of heroes of the faith who take up that call. We see it in the life of mother Teresa, someone who dedicated their entire life to serving the poorest of the poor. We see it in William Wilberforce, someone who dedicated their career to ending slavery. We see in Oscar de Romero who served in poverty all his life and advocated for those around him. And friends, we see it in our own tradition. In the Methodist church as John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, in 1730 at age 26, reads these verses that we read tonight and decided to be on mission who created a deliberate program for those in his community to be held accountable for visiting the sick, for going to see those in prison, for serving among the poor. And if you take away something tonight, I hope it is that we are the kind of church who takes up that legacy. We see it in the video that we watched today in our partnership with Grace, for folks in need of transitional housing, a place that has over 300 applicants every month. We see it as we work with El Elbowing Community Center and their surrounding neighborhood, in our dental clinic that we're offering free dental work for those in need, in our mobile market that continues to gain traction, offering food to those who need it. And friends, we re- are reminded that our best missions don't exist yet. That if we are a church who is on a mission to this world, we are looking for ways to serve our community, which means every other opportunity is available to us, if only we have eyes to see it. But it starts with being a missional church, a church who is on mission the same way that Christ was. But I think my my favorite thing about this series, about as, as we talk about our blueprint, is that every time we talk about the church, We're not just talking about all of us, not all of us collectively. We're talking about each of us individually because we all are the church. And that brings us to the second way that we're invited to take up this call. We do it as a church on a mission and we do it as individuals on mission. It's not something that we just do with the church or or at the church We take it up as the church, as we go out into the places where we live, where we work, where we raise our families, where we spend time with our friends. All of that becomes our mission field when we are people on mission for Christ. It's maybe best expressed in the words of Saint Teresa of Avila, one of our saints of the Christian church who puts our need to be on mission as individuals this way. She says, Christ has no body, but yours no hands no feet on earth but yours yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world yours are the feet with which he walks to do good yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world yours are the hands yours are the feet yours are the eyes you are his body Christ has no body now but yours and this is not just a, a clever statement strung together. These come from the words of our scripture in 1 Corinthians 12. And they're from the words of someone who was on mission, St. Teresa in the 1500s, who took up a life of poverty and educating others of offering a home in the church that she had come to know. And here's what I want us to notice. This calling that, that we're all asked to take up. It should be personal. It should be individual because how God is calling us is different. We all have the same purpose, to go out and preach the good news, to serve our neighbor, to love God and others as we love ourselves. But it'll look different because hallelujah, we're all different people. What are your gifts? What are your talents? Where are you spending your life and how can that be your mission field? John Wesley who was known as a Methodist because of his methodical approach to faith created unsurprisingly a methodical approach to visiting the poor. And St. Teresa who had found a home in the church used that to offer homes to others. How are you being called on mission? Where is God calling you in your life? What are those skills and abilities and places that only you can go? Because friends, they should be different. And when we take it up individually, we all become better for it. I think my favorite picture of what this looks like comes from our young adult ministry. If y'all don't know, I am also our pastor over young adults, and it is my privilege every week to serve alongside them as they live out the gospel, as they take their faith seriously, as they engage in scripture in a real way, as many of them are here tonight. And last semester, something happened that absolutely just blew me away, and I would love to share it with you. We have a student, 19 years old, a sophomore in college, who came to me as spring was becoming summer and said, I'm, I'm worried. There are people in our community who don't have homes. And as the temperatures continue to rise, these become more and more dangerous conditions for them to be in. And of course, I agreed. That is a really big concern facing our community. But this student, Charlie, didn't end the conversation there because he wasn't just worried He also had an idea. And so under his leadership, we created what's known as blessing bags. If you haven't heard of this before, it's a Ziploc bag full of essential things that you could give out to someone in need. This is a water bottle and non-perishable food and tissues and toothpaste, all the things that we might take for granted but can make or break a life. And so Charlie, put together an event where our young adults made over 70 blessing bags, which means that 70 people were served, that these were kept in cars, and our young adults became people who were looking for places to offer the good news through something as simple as a blessing bag. And as we went out and did this, myself and our young adults became people who took part in a really good mission. But Charlie was on mission. Do you see the difference? He was looking for a way to offer hope to his community. He knew what he could do and friends, he was looking for ways to do it. What happens if we all do the same? What happens if we become people who are on mission, who know where we live and know what we can offer the world, who take up that same call that Jesus did? I think we get the perfect picture of it. And this last thing I want to show y'all. This came from our children's ministry. Sam showed it to me a few weeks ago as we were talking about this sermon. And it's the most beautiful picture of the outline of White's Chapel filled in, there it is, with thumbprints. And each of these thumbprints come from children in our ministry. Each of these thumbprints have come together to create White's Chapel. And over here it says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And it's not spelled perfectly, but it's still true. This is the picture of what we could be if we take up our mission. That we don't just come together as the church to meet needs, but as we exit the church, we meet even more. As we go out into our places, our workplaces, our homes, our families, our friends, as we look for places to show what Christ did, that God loved the world so much that we can't leave it how it is. Friends, when we take up that mission, our blueprint for the church, that we become a place that engages the heart, becomes good news to the world. Amen. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we're so thankful for your church. We're so thankful that you have invited us into your story. God, that you are the kind of God who doesn't leave us where we are, but instead has sent us out with good news. God, we ask that you would open up our eyes to see you on mission throughout the world. God, that you'd open up our hearts so that we could take part in that mission together. God, you've gifted each and every one of us so uniquely and so beautifully. And God, we ask that we would press into that gifting, that we would use it to the people who not just do mission, but people who are on mission. God, we know that that's where you're calling us that you are present everywhere that needs are being met. God, invite us in. Help us to see you at work. God, we ask that you would let us take up that work with you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.